Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala sallam Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Nüvenni ta'allimu ve ta'limu ve tezekkuru ve tezekkuru ve nef'u ve intifa'u ve ifadatu ve istifada ve hatha'la temassuki bi kitabillahi ve sunneti rasulihi sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ve dua ilan huda ve dalalata min khayri bitigha'a mardatillahi ve vajihihi ve qurbihi ve thawabihi. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammed al-Fatih lima awliqil khatim lima sabaqna asalun haqqi bin haqqi bin hadi ila siratikin mustaqim wa ala alihi haqqa qadrihi wa miqtarihi al-azim. Bismillah. So we left off on, if I'm not mistaken, entering into coalitions for social justice. Entering into coalitions for social justice. <coughs> So we'll begin as usual if anyone wants to read uh, We'll see where we get tonight This is our last session before oh, I know my connections probably We'll see how it works It's been weird the last week or so um, Yeah So hopefully it'll be okay The uh, The last This is the last session before we go on end of the year break so I don't think we're going to finish today, but so we'll finish when we come back in the beginning of January, inshallah, but we'll see. Bismillah. The author says the following, Allah bless him and preserve him and give us benefit from his knowledge in this life and the next. Amin. Entering into coalitions for social justice. Allah, mighty and sublime, has given Muslims general guidelines for cooperating with each other that can be used to work with others towards promoting the common good in society. Moreover, the Prophet ﷺ, whose character the mother of believers Aisha referred to as being the embodiment of the Qur'an, affirmed the value of being in coalitions on issues which do not conflict with Islamic morality and ethics. Before, however, giving examples from the Qur'an and the prophetic model pertaining to this, it is important from my perspective to differentiate between alliances and coalitions. Alliances and coalitions. The implications of alliances. An alliance, as defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary, includes an association to further common interest of the members and a union based upon specific qualities which entails affinity. In the world of social justice activism, it is commonly understood that allies are those who stand with and promote each other's causes in which alliances have been formed. Generally built into these alliances is the, what has been dubbed as allyship, that good, allies, that good allies show up for those whom they are in allyship with and vice versa. In other words, embedded in alliances within the social justice world is the underlying understanding of quid pro quo that something is given or received with the expectation of loyalty in terms of immediate or future reciprocity. There's a you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of concept to it. According to the language of the Quran, an alliance, al-wala, has a similar meaning with different implications than the previously given definition and import. Al-wala, as related to the word al-mawla, a name of Allah, meaning the patron and protector, carries the meaning of being foremost and close in protecting the interest of another. Beginning from a linguistic vantage point, two parties that enter in alliance with each other have a mutual affinity and common understanding to defend each other in their vital interest. The first allegiance that Muslims are obligated to have is to pledge their loyalty to Allah. He is the master who protects and aids 
those that devote themselves to him. This allegiance is, of course, a spiritual attachment based upon love of Allah, thus summoning believers to bring their inclinations in congruence with his will as articulated in the Qur'an. Sheikh Muhammad al-Shokani, a prolific 19th century jurist from Yemen, concisely stated regarding this, The Islamic world follows its foundational origin based upon the noble Qur'an, and it is the beginning of allegiance and wala. This allegiance also extends to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, the one to whom the Qur'an was revealed and was described as the embodiment of its character. Allegiance to Allah means allegiance to his Prophet. As stated, whoever obeys the Messenger most certainly has obeyed Allah, but whoever turns away, we have sent him not to be a protector over them. So the idea here is that uh, to be an ally, if we were to back up and kind of like look at what are the Arabic terms that are used in here from the Islamic studies lexicon, one of those would be the idea of al-wala. And al-wala, first and foremost, is to Allah and the Prophet This is a very foundational concept in Muslim thought, that our immediate allyship and allegiance is to Allah and to the Prophet by extension to the teachings of the Qur'an or by connection maybe to the, te- to the teachings of the Qur'an and that this is a foundational idea that supersedes anything else basically After Allah and His Messenger, the primary allegiance that believers in Islam are obligated to have is with fellow believers this allegiance is based upon an affinity for others who believe and seek to implement the spiritual healing and social political guidance contained within with the Qur'an and the prophetic sunnah. In other words, allegiance is rooted in a belief in transcendent values and ethics based upon sacred guidance, not simply allegiance based upon identity politics. So our, after Allah and the Prophet ﷺ, in terms of people, our next uh, allegiance is to the believers. And that is a relationship that is based upon a mutual submission to the sacred law and the divine guidance. And so it is based upon um, a belief. It's not based upon a color or an ethnicity or some sort of other marker of identity. But the marker would be based upon the belief itself. Allah Mighty and Sublime says, uh, this is part of, you know, and this again is a simple but foundational concept that the believers have rights over the believers. And um, there are ways that it's not just, you know, the absolute minimum of, you know, you say your hamakullah if they sneeze and you visit them if they're sick and you follow their janazah if they die. Those are basic, basic um uh, rights of a Muslim over a Muslim but the idea here is that I'm not going to sell the Muslims out for some sort of other allegiance um, whether that be popularity or wealth or power or influence I guess now influence is the big thing that uh, you know I sell out my people for the sake of an increased influence and that would that that's a major problem uh, one of the things that comes from this is that I don't have to get along with everybody in order to give them some sort of respect or rights or dignity or honor or whatever it might be, right? Like, I, and not every believer has to be my best friend, but every believer has to be extended a certain level of honor and dignity and so on. 
There's a question that says, how do we cla classify believers here? Does it mean all Muslims? Yes, it means all Muslims. Allah Almighty and Sublime says, And believing men and women are allies of one another. They enjoy good, they enjoin good, forbid wrong, establish prayer, give charity, and obey Allah and His Messenger. These will receive the immediate mercy of Allah. Surely, uh, Allah is might. Uh, surely, Allah is mighty and wise. O you who believe, do not take the Jews and Christians as allies. They are, in fact, allies of one another. And whoever from you allies with them over the believers—that's an interesting addition—over the believers. Uh, surely he is of them. Surely Allah does not guide a wrongdoing people. And those who disbelieve are allies of one another. There is so much that has to be said about these verses. I'll come back. O oh, you who believe, be great, be regardful of Allah, and he should, and he should be. What verse is this? As he should be. Uh, be regardful of Allah as he should be rightfully regarded. Okay, I don't know. I can't even think straight to figure out what the mistake there was, but this should say uh, Be regardful of Allah as he should be rightfully regarded. وَاذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءً فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ فَأَصْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانًا وَكُنْتُمْ عَلَى شَفَاءَ حُفْرَةً مِنَ النَّارِ فَأَنْقَذَكُمْ مِنْهَا It's this verse, Surah Ali Imran. O you who believe, be regardful of Allah as he should be rightfully regarded and do not die except in a full state of submission and hold on tightly to the rope of Allah together and do not divide yourselves and remember the favor of Allah upon you when you were adversaries then he brought your hearts together then you became by his favor brothers and you were on the brink of the pit of the fire then he saved you from it thus does Allah make clear for you his signs in order that you might be that you may be rightly guided so First principle here is that the believing men and the believing women are to be allies of one another. The believing men and the believing women are to be allies to one another. This means that they do not speak ill of one another. They do not speak inappropriately of one another. They do not tear each other down. They do not humiliate one another. They do not uh, spread hatred of one another. Um, and this, of course, goes both ways. Um, probably historically more one way than the other and currently maybe things are evening out Allahu A'lam but the point is we should be supporting one another and uh, working together for enjoining good forbidding wrong establishing prayer giving charity everything that's mentioned in the verse uh, then the other verse that's mentioned is about not taking Christians and Jews as allies so, you know, this is one of the places where translation becomes so important. Uh, allies here is awliya, awliya, and um, which comes from al-wala, which is mentioned previously on the page before. Many translations of the Qur'an, <coughs> uh, or maybe I shouldn't say that, many people who translate, translate this verse like to translate it as, do not take them as friends. 
and that's not really a correct translation. Uh, this is an issue of wala. It's an issue of wala. It's an issue of siding with them to the expense of yourself and of your fellow believers. So the idea here is not that you, and, and even this, it's not absolutely uh, broad. And that's why I, I like actually that he he um, he added this. And whoever from you allies with them over the believers, comment over the believers, <coughs> to indicate that if one had an uh, allyship with or uh, with the Jews or Christians that didn't uh, harm. Muslims or oneself then that wouldn't be an issue but to do that at the expense of the of another group of the believers is a major problem major major problem we don't need to go into examples there's endless examples of this but in the political arena in the social arena in the organizational arena there are many times when this could happen and there are many times when this does happen when uh, people will say for they basically will throw the believers under the bus and uh, you know for whatever position it might be uh, and by position I don't mean like power position I mean like issue they're taking a particular issue on it they're taking a position on some issue and in doing so they're throwing believers under the bus um, whatever that might be there's a lot of possibilities um, again I don't want to cause problems and I'm not a historian but the immediate one that comes to mind is the idea of allying with the British on the premise of overthrowing the control of the Ottoman Khilafah uh, over the lands of Arabia uh, so you can think of like the McMahon-Hussein agreement um, anyways we don't need to go into <laughs> modern Arab history but uh, there are things that happened. For example, there's an uh, agreement that will, will, will revolt against the Turkish Khilafah, the Ottoman Khilafah, and will get support from you, the British, and then afterwards we'll be in power, right? This would be a really clear example of allying with another people at the expense of the believers, right? Um. And then uh, the third verse that's mentioned is those who disbelieve are allies of one another, which is a really important verse, actually, um, because of what else is in the verse, if I'm not mistaken. Let me find it. Uh, I think this is it, actually. What verse was that? 73. See if I can find this. Yes. وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَعُوذُ بِالْمَسْتَرِ الْمَجِيمِ وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضٍ this is a very the, the, what comes after the part that he quoted is very interesting so it says and those who disbelieve are allies of one another if you do not do that there will be major fitna and facade in the earth 
There will be lots of fitna and corruption in the earth if you don't do the same. If you don't get on the same page and work towards the greater good, there will be corruption on the earth. And the people who are against you, they're going to do it. They're going to work together. So if you can't figure out how to work together, know that there's going to be consequences of that. And then this fourth set of verses is the famous verses that are often quoted in the beginning of khutbahs and stuff, or at least the beginning part of it. Um, that stay stay mindful of Allah, be together, and know that Allah brings the hearts together. Allah brings the hearts together. This is an important principle. You know, if people come together with sincerity. They come together with a willingness to know one another, to get to be brothers and sisters with one another, to uphold one another's rights, and so on and so forth. Then Allah will put unity between the hearts. The incumbency of Muslims having spiritual allegiance with each other based upon the Qur'an, Sunnah, and the consensus of the early Muslim generations and scholars in no way means that Muslims should be hostile to others. Muslims should strive to keep good relations with their family members, be they Muslim or not, neighbors and colleagues. In the prophetic era, Christians in Abyssinia protected Muslims fleeing brutally, brutally violent persecution, including murder in Mecca. Muti'ib Ibn Adi, his clan within Quraysh, protected the Prophet And Zayd ibn Haritha, may Allah be pleased with him, after they were chased out of Ta'if and had absolutely no one to turn to for assistance. The Prophet protected the rights of the people of the book while he was in a position of political authority in Al-Medina as well. Spiritual allegiance of the Prophet and his companions, however, was not with those groups' beliefs, worldviews, and lifestyles. So, their uh, allegiance... The, the allegiance that they had was not on that. It was on respecting their honor, their right to live, um, <coughs> so on. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was... The, he's going to get into that more. So we don't have to get into it right now. The difference between coalitions and alliances. From my vantage point, a coalition differs from an alliance because it is a collaboration which is usually temporary in nature and is based upon a narrow focus of issue. Coalition partners do not have to share the same belief systems and methodologies in order to cooperate upon limited common goals. Moreover, coalition partners can be in partnership on some issues while simultaneously being in opposition to each other on other matters. Thus, many of those whom Muslims work with that are of other faiths or no faith at all are in fact suitable coalition partners within some circumstances but do not constitute true allies within the scope of al-wala or what should be considered true allyship. This framework differs from the language put forth in the contemporary social justice world which is primarily shaped by secular liberalism even when religious language is interwoven. So he's distinguishing between these possibilities here. One is the route of... Um, allyship and the other one is coalitions and in the coalitions it's not uh, it can be issue by issue that we can agree on this issue and we work together and another issue we don't and it doesn't have to be this all-encompassing allyship um, <coughs> yeah I'll leave it there for now Allah Almighty gives some general guidelines as to what issues Muslims should cooperate with each other on that provides the groundwork for cooperating with those outside of the faith. He stated, cooperate based upon righteousness and regardfulness for Allah, but do not cooperate based upon sinfulness and aggression. 
Imam Zayd ibn Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhum stated that righteousness in this ayah means fulfilling what coincides with what Allah commanded while regardfulness in this ayah means to stay away from what Allah has prohibited. This is وَتَعَوَّنُوا عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى وَلَا تَعَوَّنُوا عَلَى الْإِثْمِ وَالْعُدَوَانِ In Surah Al-Ma'idah. Moreover, regarding matters that are prohibited, Allah warns Muslims to keep a healthy spiritual and intellectual distance from them and to not regularly associate with those who openly engage in and promote matters that are clearly unlawful according to the Sharia. He commands, do not incline yourselves towards the, uh, towards whose, those who do wrong, lest you, shall, you will be touched by the fire, then you will not have any protectors against Allah, nor receive any help. Um, so... You know, again, it's the coalition is in what is permitted, permitted, and we can work together in that. But in things that are not permitted, then there's no really space for us to work together in that. One example from the Prophet them that Muslims can draw upon regarding the sanctioning of entering into coalitions with others for the common good is what is famously known as Hilf al-Fudul. Hilf al-Fudul. Hilf meaning a pact that is written with a specific resolution and intention, and al-Fudul meaning virtues. Prior to the Qur'an being revealed, a man from Yemen had a bartering agreement that was not fulfilled by a man in Mecca. When the man who was wronged openly complained, the tribes within Quraysh made an agreement that neither the weak be exploited by the strong, nor the foreigner be exploited by a resident in business transactions. So basically this man comes to Mecca to do business. And he starts to do business with some with a person, and that guy basically refuses to give him his rights. Like, you know, take whatever he wants from him. Then afterwards, he's like, "Sorry, I'm not going to give you anything. Whatever, you're not from here. What are you going to do?" Basically, so this man complained, to, called upon the honor of the Arabs in Mecca, and said, "Like, what is going on here? I came here to do this and that, and now I'm being oppressed. Or is there anyone that's respectable amongst you?" And so on. And then they had this gathering, where they agreed on these terms. That the weak won't be oppressed in these business transactions And a foreigner won't be oppressed and so on And the Prophet ﷺ was part of that agreement The Prophet ﷺ said later I witnessed in the home of Abdullah ibn Jud'an A compact, a compact, a compact A pact uh, That is more beloved to me than the best camel And if I were called to this in Al-Islam I would accept So he's saying I witnessed this agreement uh, before Islam and I really loved it and I thought it was a great thing and if I was called to it now after Islam I would agree to it so this is basically saying you know because someone might say oh well he did that before uh, he was the Prophet وسلم, or before the revelation began and the Prophet is very specifically saying that this thing even if I was called to it now I would still be part of it uh, in effect, the Messenger of Allah said that he would enter into a coalition with others for the common good, which jibes with Islamic morality and ethics, even though the coalition Muslims were not or coalition members were not Muslims. Those who witnessed and participated in Hilf al Fudul at the time of its agreement were almost all idolaters. The Prophet's statement relating to Hilf al-Fudul, however, in no way meant that he would have sanctioned Muslims to affirm, much less propagate the heresy of Quraysh's idolatry, the burying of female babies alive, and other un-Islamic aspects of their lifestyle as a condition of being in such a coalition. So he would have agreed on these particular things, but that doesn't mean he's going to agree on everything that they do. 
right? So we agree that we're not going to oppress people when they come to the city. We agree on this and this and this. But that doesn't mean I agree with the entirety of your lifestyle. In general, Muslims should have no problem cooperating with each other based upon differences of schools of thought and spiritual orders as the believers are to be protectors of each other per the Qur'an as long as general Islamic guidelines are not violated and the believing men and women are protecting allies of one another. <coughs> Excuse me. Moreover, Muslims should also be availed to work in coalition with folks who are not Muslims pertaining to issues of the common good of society, even if those persons or organizations hold beliefs and lifestyles that are counter to the Sharia. There is no absolute allyship with them, in particular to those matters found to violate Islamic morality and ethics, and there should be no inclination to be engaged in quid pro quo <coughs> at any cost in the name of being in coalitions. The Prophet ﷺ said, Surely the facilitator of good is like the doer of it. Conversely, he stated, The facilitator of evil is like the evil. So this should be, I think, pretty clear so far. Pretty clear. Now, where does it get sticky? Next chapter. We might finish today, actually. <coughs> Maybe I should push. Let's see. Wading through contentions contentions of LGBT community engagement. One of the most testing and perhaps confusing issues among many Western Muslims relates to LGBTQ. Engagement. Among the progressive left, members within the LGBTQ community have been among the most aggressive in seeking to engage Muslim activists, from speaking out against anti-Muslim hate crimes to even supporting the BDS movement targeting Israeli occupation of Palestinian land. May Allah uh, liberate it. Given that Islamophobia has steadily increased in America since the tragedy of 9-11, Muslims have welcomed support from those outside of the community as a form of defense, and LGBTQ activists have been among the most vocal persons speaking against hate and bullying against Muslims. The effect of Islamophobia upon the Muslim psyche, coupled with the seemingly sympathetic LGBTQ community as it relates to anti-Muslim bigotry, has shifted how a significant segment of the American Muslims view homosexuality. According to a 2017 Pew study, there was a 25% increase of American Muslims who believe that society should accept homosexuality, shifting from 27% in 2007 to 52% in 2017. That is a crazy statistic. Issue aside, that's just, that's just a big switch. In fact... The poll suggests that American Muslims have become more accepting of the notion of LGBTQ acceptance in society than white evangelicals. In fact, Muslim millennials are 20% more accepting of homosexuality in the society than millennials who are not Muslims, making Muslim millennials actually the most far to the left group on this issue in America. Fascinating. What is unclear from the Pew study is the percentage of those who view homosexual intercourse and cross-dressing as not violating Islamic theology versus those who believe that homosexuality should be merely protected as a civil right, which is a very different issue. All right? When it comes to those who believe that homosexuality should be protected under civil rights law and that same-sex marriage is not forbidden in Islam, these Muslims have gone against over 14 centuries of Islamic legal consensus that same-gender sexual intercourse is completely forbidden. 
this is the consensus of every single school of thought among Sunni, Shias, Shi'is, and Ibadis. Moreover, homosexuality has never been taken as an identity to define individuals positively. In fact, Malik ibn Anas, may Allah be pleased with him, who was from the third generation and an imam of one of the major Sunni schools of jurisprudence, stated that the one who refers to a man as one who engages in homosexual intercourse, luti, without proof, should be punished for defamation. Hence, Muslims who state that homosexuality is a positive self-identity and believe that Islamic tradition has somehow been incorrect since the earliest generations have clearly taken positions which are against Islamic orthodoxy. Celebrating that one is gay or lesbian is no more a positive identity to be championed, according to traditional Islam, than lauding a person for being a fornicator or a fornicatress. Interesting word. As it relates to those who think, think that those who identify as homosexuals should be a protected class relating to civil rights law and believe that it is forbidden in Islam, Muslims in the West continue to debate for and against this position. So these are two different issues, right? The um, uh, civil rights, people shouldn't be discriminated against, people shouldn't be uh, attacked, um, treated with like severe aggression and so on and so forth. This is one issue. And to believe that it's okay from a theological perspective is a different issue. So we have to parse these two things. The position that Muslims should advocate for gay rights to protect their own rights. So he's going to deal with this uh, concept now. Sometimes people will say that. The position that Muslims who are morally disinclined towards homosexuality but are willing to support homosexual unions, transgenderism, and gender fluidity as protected per public policy has shades of what has been dubbed the minority discourse. The minority discourse in the West is based upon the premise, usually applied to the field of literature, that those outside of the social construct of whiteness have to assert their voices to resist the tyranny of the majority with whom the administration of rights resides. In essence, the underpinning logic for this discourse is that in order for Muslims to secure their rights as a religious minority, those rights are tied to the rights of other minorities to freely express themselves within civil society. Hence, the political underpinnings of supporting LGBTQ rights are as follows. 1. Gay activists have been among the most vocal supporters of Muslim, Muslim civil rights post 9-11. 2. Standing up for LGBTQ rights, such as same-sex unions, preserves the future possibility of Muslims possibility of rights for Muslims to have legally recognized Islamic marriage contracts, which could include plural marriages. Three, Muslims tolerate other activities that are legal in America, such as gambling and alcohol consumption. Therefore, Muslims should hold the same position and not organize against gay rights, as they do not organize politically against access to casinos and the sale of lottery, ticket, lottery tickets and alcohol. Basically, these are articulations that it is in the best social-political interest of Muslims to not publicly oppose LGBTQ issues. There are others who argue, by extrapolation, that Muslims should support those who identify as transgender to be able to join the military as well as use public bathrooms and locker rooms of the gender with which they identify, regardless of the gender stated on their birth certificates. So now we're opening the door to uh, a lot of different issues. Uh, I'm not going to comment until we finish the entire section, inshallah, because I'm sure there's going to be some back and forth and different things. An opposing view that Muslims should not advocate for LGBTQ rights. So the first one, he's mentioning that they should. Now, here's an opposing view. A view by others within the Muslim community is that not only is homosexual intercourse as well as cross-dressing forbidden in Islamic law, but Muslims should also not be advocating on behalf of LGBTQ rights. 
From my anecdotal observations, this tends to be the overwhelming position among black American Muslims. I believe that this view is due in part to two factors. The non-seeking of acceptance from the status quo within society and general pessimism based upon historical evidence towards a legal system that simply does not protect minorities, black folks in particular, as it does white folks who hold positional power within the dominant culture. Of course, there are always religious proofs that are presented for this position by black as well as non-black Muslims. Dr. Abdullah Ali, professor of Islamic law at Zaytuna College, stated his position regarding his non-support for gay marriage within the current social political context. This is a quote now. <clears throat> the fundamental reason is that once one declares himself morally opposed to something, this means necessarily that he, she is not in support of any measure that gives validation to the act. Supporting another's right to solemnize a marriage to a same-sex partner through the state is disingenuous if support means the endorsement and acceptance of the immoral act as something moral. The question then is whether or not Muslims need to partner with opponents of gay marriage in open protest and defiance of the laws that grant legitimacy to such partnerships. As stated in the answer to the previous question, this matter is different if by support one means accommodation or tolerance of gay couples in the same way that one tolerates fornicators, adulterers, murderers, thieves, drunkards, drug addicts, and the like. In other words, if you are against gay marriage, you are against it. But being against it does not necessarily have to mean that one is actively protesting the Supreme Court victory, especially knowing that it will unlikely be overturned at this point. So you can be against something and not necessarily be on like the front lines uh, protesting against it. I do not find marriage between two people of the same gender to be morally acceptable, and I do not believe that it is lawful for Muslims to support the Supreme Court verdict as something which makes it morally acceptable. I do, however, believe that Muslims can support the idea that non-Muslim homosexual relationships conforms to their specific morality and can therefore be tolerated to an extent just like we tolerate so many other things that are un-Islamic. My conscience does not allow me to accept this as good simply because it is the law in any more in any more than I can accept the presumptive goodness of the three-strike rule. Uh, so it's going to continue the discussion. This was obviously a big debate a few years ago. There's a lot of back and forth upon it when the Supreme Court issue was going on. Uh, now it's kind of like what's done is done in some ways. In response to Georgetown professor John, Dr. Jonathan Brown, who stated that Muslims and LGBT groups have the same goal, namely a notion of marriage in which laws are not influenced by Western European Christian cultural mores, Dr. Shadi al-Masri of Safina Society replied as it relates to polygyny. First, this statement is too broad and it paints a false picture. The basic marriage between one Muslim man and one Muslim woman is not repugnant to anyone. Only second, third, and fourth marriages are. Second, if I am not allowed to marry a second wife, is that oppression? If so, then why did Imam Malik permit women to stipulate in the marriage contract that their husband could not take a second wife? If this was an injustice, then it would be an invalid clause and not one Malik would have approved of. Third, let's be honest, where is polygamy on the Muslim community's to-do list? I would think it's not that high. But even if it was, and people are free to make it a cause if they want to, it should be done in the right way. Partnering with a group who, who build their identity around an act for which an entire city was destroyed is not the path of tawfiq. This I can guarantee. Verily, Allah only accepts from the muttaqin. The verse means that whatever you do, Allah will only accept it if you do it right. 
As neither Ali nor al-Masri are keen about picking fights to prohibit same-sex unions, which are currently recognized by states, they both articulate a position held by many Muslims who disagree with the notion that standing up for LGBTQ rights is necessary for Muslims to freely exercise the basic requirements of Islam or to advance a potential legal right for polygyny. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of summarizing arguments that go back and forth. I don't think that we should really hash them out right now. Um, suffice it to say that they are big issues. I personally don't really feel that these kind of issues are well hashed out on really like public live streaming recorded platforms. Um, if we want to come to some sort of understanding, we sit together and we talk and we engage. And in doing so, we're able to have a more useful conversation. And, you know, that's how we learn. And that's how we grow, especially on difficult issues. Um, but like some broad proclamations of things, it's not really... Uh, I don't really like to do that on uh, social media unless it's like really necessary to do so. And there's shades of this that are more clear or less clear. So... Some of the issues are very clear, some of them are not, as is kind of hinted at in, uh, in what came. And he's not done yet. Centering religious identity regarding LGBTQ engagement. Perhaps the most important point to mention after stating the two previous positions on LGBTQ engagement is that sacred activism requires being Muslim primarily as a faith identity and not a quasi-ethnic and social-political identity relegating faith to the back burner. So this is the, this is the big issue. If we're going to talk about sacred activism, then we have to talk about centering us being Muslim as a faith, not as like, like the way that we used to joke around when we were in middle school and none of us were really Muslims and we used to joke around about being Muslim because our families were Muslims there's like four or five of us in school none of our families cared about religion none of our none of us were raised with any sort of religion none of us identified as being Muslim in any sort of way but we would call we would make reference to it as an ethnicity not as a religious belief which is not what Islam is you know Engaging any group, including the LGBTQ community, should be guided by faith and sincerity within the confines of our agreed-upon principles of Islamic tradition. Muslims living in Western secular societies should not be reduced to profane sensibilities that perceive Muslim as a type of race, which then derives views of the community within that scope. This does not equal rejecting everything that does not derive from Islamic civilization. It is a way in which Muslims can attempt to peacefully, peacefully coexist in pluralistic environments without wavering from the sacred principles that have been passed down by Islamic scholars with sound chains of transmission for centuries. Um, and there is a lot of space in our tradition to be tolerant, to be engaging, to let certain things go, to let people do their own thing. There's, there's a lot of space for that, actually while still not giving up who we are. These transcendent values which Muslims are to stand for are not predicated upon how others treat us. They are based upon the belief that interacting with and assisting any group of people should be done for the pleasure of Allah, within the beautiful example of the Prophet Muhammad The Prophet stated regarding this, Do not be people without minds, saying, If people do good to me, we will do good, but if they do wrong, we will do wrong. 
But accustom yourselves that if people do good to you, you return good. But if they do evil, you do not do wrong. This is a really important hadith. Really beautiful and amazing hadith. Very, very important to remember and to think about, contemplate. The Prophet said, don't be that person. Don't be the person who says, if they're good to me, I'll be good to them. And if they're bad to me, I'll be bad to them. No. It's, if they're good to you, you do good to them. If they're bad to you, you, don't try, to, you try not to harm them. Try not to do them wrong. Fine, you did me wrong, I'm going to try not to do you wrong. That doesn't mean I have to let everything go. That doesn't mean I have to be a pushover or anything else. But I'm not going to do you wrong. I can stand up. I can set my limits. But I'm not going to go past them. Agreement with a crime victim's lifestyle, for instance, is not a religious uh, obligation in fulfilling what is sacred. Allah clearly states, Do not kill the soul which Allah sanctified except with the truth such as in self-defense or if a court finds one guilty of committing a capital crime. Thus, vocalizing a position against the slaughter of innocent people at the Pulse nightclub, a gay nightclub, on June 12, 2016, was proper when motivated by the spiritual guidance of the Qur'an and the prophetic example. So to be against that, there's no problem. You don't have to agree with someone's lifestyle to say that they, don't, they shouldn't be killed. Right? That's, this is, they're, they're not connected. Uh, thus, it is a working principle that Muslims should oppose any sort of vigilante violence and mayhem, including threatening the lives of or killing members of any group, including the LGBTQ community. Um, and note that this doesn't, you know, this also applies to groups that you don't like. Okay, so like take white supremacists for example. We don't want vigilante justice against them either. Okay, and so that's this is they might want to cause us harm. We still don't want vigilante justice against them. Uh, vigilante violence, whatever it might be. What was the term he used? Vigilante violence and mayhem. We don't want those things against them either, uh, because that's not something we want on principle, regardless of who we're talking about. Feeding the homeless and providing health care for the poor are what sacred activism calls for, irrespective of the morality of the indigent. Making sure that children are in safe, non-hostile learning environments is also a concern which has a basis in Islamic ethics. In issues such as these, assisting persons who identify as gay or transgender has a spiritual basis. Any quality or action which the Messenger of Allah وسلم, demonstrated in general is beloved to Allah thus has a spiritual basis. Those matters which he stood against have a spiritual basis as well. For every aspect of his human perfection comes from his light which is created and guided by the light of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is an important distinction. Okay? Losing track of what actions are pleasing to Allah is problematic to say the least. This holds true for any type of social political engagement, which includes how Muslims engage LBGTQ activists. Going back to Al-Masri's comments on this issue, he stated, Beliefs and political stances must be aligned and should not contradict the sacred law, or else one will internalize this contradiction and never be able to escape the agitation that dissonance causes. Separating what you believe religiously from what you support politically is the very eye of secularism. secularism. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Hence, though it may not be a feasible calculation to join or organize opposition to undo particular laws, uh, 
that contradict the Sharia, such as same-sex marriage, it would be a mistake to join others in propagating the normalization of such activities as being morally correct. This is where the problem resides for many Muslims in the current landscape. Among liberal circles, simply being silent on issues of gender and sexuality does not suffice. If persons of religious conviction state that their faith does not agree with same-sex unions, the growing trend is to dismiss their theologies as archaic and to align with so-called reformists. In fact, among progressive activists, there is an expectation that religious leaders and faith-based activists should recognize the LGBTQ agenda to be on par with civil rights for African Americans, women's rights, and immigrants' rights. Not endorsing a transgender or gender-fluid individual's right to access gender-specific public and private facilities based upon how they perceive themselves can easily get one labeled as a bigot, a type of phobe, regressive, closed-minded, or not woke. Ironically, there is a form of intolerance within these circles that mirrors their own critique of the intolerance of conservatives. Which is, again, I believe, to be clear. The challenge for Muslims involved in these spaces is to hold on to their Islamic principles such as preserving all people's God-given right to be protected from wanton violence, while also not celebrating or insist assisting in the social normalization of sexual activities and identities that are clearly repugnant according to the Sharia. Within this challenge, there is a moral responsibility for those involved in the political realm, especially when engaging the left, to internalize that not everything that is illegal is immoral, nor that everything legal is morally correct. At one time in America, chattel slavery was legal, but was clearly immoral and later made illegal. Was legal, made illegal. People advocated for certain positions which brought about their prohibition or legality in society. Likewise, in a supposedly democratic society, Muslims are not obliged to find everything which is legal to be moral, such as same-sex unions, nor do Muslims have to be opposed to legal challenges which seek to undo certain forms of public access which the LGBTQ community has fought for that was not legally protected just a few years ago. Tamam. Brief suggestions for LGBTQ engagement. The following are a few general suggestions for engagement. We're so close and so far. <sighs> Be upfront, number one. Be upfront, resolute, and kind in telling religious leaders and advocates where you stand on this issue based upon normative Islamic beliefs and that it is acceptable for them to disagree. Just as you are not trying to impose your beliefs upon them, you should respectfully tell them that you have the right to not agree. That you, you should respectively tell them that you have the right to not agree with all of their positions, but can work together with them where causes align. Being clear from the onset will help set the tone instead of being unclear and having false expectations imposed upon you. Two, be involved in coalitions calling for social justice that align with the Sharia regardless of LGBTQ groups being part of those coalitions. These can include anti-hate crime coalitions that are against violence directed towards homosexuals to groups that include queer people involved in law enforcement, accountability, or anti-Islamophobia task forces. All those things are things that we can agree on. Attempt to be clear within yourself about phrases and nomenclature that will not be used in campaigns and public rallies that violate the Sharia. Moreover, be mindful of not using frames that are not in the long-term interest of the community and society at large. Not everything has to be verbally recognized in the name of intersectionality. 4. Do not collaborate or encourage any initiative that advances what is clearly forbidden in Islam, falsely in the name of allyship. Remember that the wife of Lut, alayhi salam, 
was condemned for knowingly condoning, collaborating, and facilitating those who openly acted upon their sexual immorality, even though she did not personally participate in similar acts herself. This is clear in the scripture. So the issue with Lut's wife was that she didn't do what the people did, but she didn't, she kind of like supported it at the same time. And number five, be prepared, be prepared to hear Islam itself, not just Muslims, being called homophobic and patriarchal because of issues such as the opinion on homosexuality, men being obligated to pay women a dowry in marriage but not the opposite, and the permissibility of polygamy but not polyandry. Remember that soft anti-Islam sentiments exist within the left in relation to how it sees traditional Islamic theology and jurisprudence conflicting with liberalism. This is subtler than the overt racism against Muslims being just a non-white group. So this is a big chapter. Needs some reflection, some thought. Yeah, I think we'll stop here. <laughs> um, oh, I forgot to make this so that. Sorry. Hmm. Uh, someone asked where can we find the hadith that was mentioned earlier about doing good to everyone um, let me see if I can find it
Oh man, I can't find it. Either, let me try it. Either, Ahsanu. That's frustrating. I can't remember the Arabic and I can't find it. Uh, actually, why don't I check? Did he, did he, no, he didn't put the label for it. Mm. It's a famous hadith too. I must have the wording wrong. minutes I'll find it it's a lot to process yeah there's a lot to process you're right This is going to drive me crazy until I find it now. Anything else? You feel free to say it or put it in the chat box or whatever while I look for this if you have anything else. Mm -mm. Oh my god, I can't believe I can't find this. This is it's gonna make me completely out of my mind. Uh I don't, know. don't feel don't feel guilty about your question. Nothing to feel guilty about. It's just gonna make me crazy because I should actually know this and I can't figure out None of these little articles have it. It's so weird. Uh, 
there's a particular word that's used in the hadith and that's like the key to finding it and i can't remember what that word is like when he says don't be like this kind of person that does this and this there's a word for that uh. God. Khair, inshallah, I'll find it by tomorrow. Just be like all night looking through books of hadith trying to find it. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. Uh. So strange that you can't find it though. Kuf Sharrahum. Kuf Sharrahum. Hadith. I think it's that one. I'm not gonna find it right now, I don't think. Uh inshallah. No other comments. Just sit on this one for a while. Got a couple weeks. Sit with your friends, argue about it, talk about it, discuss it, read the chapter over again. Inshallah, we'll come back in a couple weeks and finish up the book and then figure out what comes after that so barakallah fikum uh, are you going to share your stance or take on this on which part <laughs> you have to be more specific on the whole debate um I mean, I more or less agree generally with what he was saying. Um, the The marriage issues, whatever now, because the Supreme Court already ruled on it, so we don't need to even worry about getting involved. There's issues of like general not discrimin not being discriminated against, not being victims of violence, all that kind of stuff. It's no problem, you know. Um, but without, you know, with like being clear on, we don't like at, at, on a religious level, we don't agree with this kind of behavior or lifestyle even. Um, but that doesn't mean that we feel that people should be discriminated against. So, um, it's pretty much the gist of it. If there's other details, let me know. Uh, I think he gave some good guidelines. And if there's more details that need to be ironed out, we can talk about them, maybe on different platforms or whatever. It needs to be done, inshallah. Okay, so barakallahu fikum. Inshallah everyone finishes out the year strong. And um, may Allah keep everyone safe and healthy and your family safe and healthy. 
and we will convene when we convene. Inshallah, barakallahu fikum, subhanakallahum wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa an astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk wal asr inna l'insana la fi khusr illa al-lazina amanu wa amanu al-salihat wa tawasubin haqqi wa tawasubin sabr. Zakum la khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi.